Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. start with 1st Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. But before we begin to look at it, I want you to imagine if one day for some reason, which, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, you're called to plant a church. And God called you and said, hey, I want you to open a church. But just not anywhere. He's calling you to open a church in a very specific place, a very well-known popular place. This area is very popular. The city that God is sending you is very popular. But at the same time, this popularity made it a sinful place. Everybody's going through there. A lot of different people, a lot of different cultures, a lot of different ideas. And when you have so much of this, you know, you tend to have a lot of sin. So imagine God's calling you to open a church in a place like this. You'll be one of the first churches planted in that area. So you pray about it. You okay, fine, God, I will go. I will open this church. You're calling me to do so. I will do it. So you take on this calling. So you spend the next couple of years building that church. You're discipling the people. You're discipling teachers, preachers, members. After a couple of years of doing so, you've established a good group of, of church members, leaders, teachers. So now it's time for you to move on, right? Because your calling was to plant the church. wasn't necessarily to just pass the church. It was to plant the plant church, leave a good set of, of leaders, and then move on to the next place. But as you move on, a couple of years pass, you know, you leave here confidently. You, you saw the work God did. You saw everything God is doing. You saw the church. You saw everything. You're confident moving. But a few years pass, and, and while you're working on other ministries, all of a sudden you start getting phone calls or text messages or emails, right, explaining and asking and telling you about things that are happening in this church. They're telling you, look, this church that you founded is struggling with doctrine. They're confused. All of a sudden they become confused. They're straying away. They're asking questions. It's not the same as you left it. They're arguing back and forth. They're creating divisions within each other. They're starting to live life not as you were teaching them when you were there. Their life all of a sudden looks quite different. You have a group of men. You left a group of men, women, children who were once leading and walking the way of Christ. And now they're all of a sudden having issues and conflict within each other. So aside from being disappointed, because I think anyone here will be disappointed in hearing something like that. What would you do? They're reaching out to you. They're asking you questions. 
They're telling you about all these issues as a church that you've planted is having. You're disappointed. You're heartbroken. But then what do you do? I mean, you yourself, you witnessed the work of God that was doing there with those people. You left and you're confident when you left. So do you give up on them? You know, forget it. Forget it. They're lost. We're done. Let it close down. Let the church close. Let everything go to waste. Or do you do something to help guide them and kind of set them back on the right foot? And I think if you're really confident when you left, you're probably going to do that. You're probably going to find a way to get these people back on track because you know what God was doing there. And that's what we're going to look at for the next couple of months, maybe a couple of weeks, depending on, on the timing. We're going to spend some time looking at this letter Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. If you're not familiar with this letter, there's a few things that you need to keep in mind. For starters, this letter has been confirmed to be authored by Paul. Now, when you read verses uh, 1, you can see that he mentions uh, somebody else's name. So we think, some people think, some of the uh, scholars think that possibly uh, Sosthenes was the person who wrote it down. Paul spoke what he wanted to tell him, and he wrote it. Uh, but there was a bit of a combination between Paul and uh, Sosthenes. Now, this letter was written directly to the Christian community that was founded there by Paul uh, in Corinth, Greece. So in this letter, he deals with the problems that were arising in the early years of the ministry there in, uh, of the church that Paul Established. And you can kind of read a little bit of that if you want to go back home and say, well, I kind of want to read what, how that started and everything. You can find it in Acts 28. Uh, you can read the whole story of how this church was put together. So Paul had received information from, and he's been receiving information from different sources on the condition of the church that he planted. And as we go through this letter, you're going to see a couple of topic changes. This is not one of those letters that just... It's one whole thing, right? You're going to see how it's going to bounce from different topics, different things. And the thing is that in this letter, Paul is answering questions, concerns that were being brought up. There are a bunch of different concerns. Now, there's been letters going back and forth. The problem is that we don't have record of those letters, right? We only have record of this one letter that he wrote from his point to theirs. We don't see the other. So, so this is kind of like a Q&A, right? We, I, I enjoy q and I love watching Q&As in the church because it's, it's fun to see us, see what questions the church has and, and how to respond to them. So we kind of do that always kind of when we go to the other side. We kind of talk about different things like that. Uh, but this is kind of like a Q&A. But the problem with this Q&A is that it's mostly the A and there's no Q. So we're not reading, we're not seeing the questions. Or the concerns. We're only seeing the responses. So you're going to see that. You're going to see how, how some of it is going to be like, okay, he's jumping from something else. Okay, he's talking about something else. But we don't really know what brought on that question because we don't have that information. 
Paul is going to cover different issues related to both life and doctrine. He's going to talk about things like division and, and quarrels, uh, sexual immorality, lawsuits among believers, marriage, singleness, freedom in Christ, order of worship, the significance of the Lord's Supper, and, and the right use of the spiritual gifts that God gives you. He's also going to include a profound teaching of the resurrection. So he's answering a lot. So there's a lot going on. Because if you're talking about all these different topics, that means that there was a big problem going on in that church. And this is a very important letter because it gives us a very good, profound, inspired, spirit-inspired model of how the church should handle the sins that were in the middle of them. And we use that ourselves. We read this and say, okay, if this is what they're going through, are we going through similar situations and how can we handle those situations? And you read this and you're like, oh, this is how Paul dealt with it. This is how we should deal with it. But before we take a look at those issues, we have to tackle the introduction. And usually I skip the introduction because the introduction is kind of always the same from Paul. It kind of sounds the same. But this introduction, it's, it's almost, well, it, it's not almost. It is the basic foundation that we have to understand before we understand what Paul is talking about. Because if we look at what Paul is going to talk about, and we don't understand the foundation of why Paul is saying what he's saying, what becomes is just religious legalism. Do this, do that, don't do this, do this. And in Jerusalem, you're saying, okay, so you just want me to be a legalistic religion, right? So we have to understand that. Because the lack of understanding is why they're in this situation to begin with. They lost that understanding. For some reason, they forgot. They may not have lost it. They forgot what was the basic of their foundation. So therefore, they started to live out the way they shouldn't have been. So first thing we got to tackle is the audience. Who is Paul writing to? And Paul starts with his typical introduction, which he points to his authorship, right? The fact that he wrote it, but also to his authority, but the most important for today that we're going to look at specifically, because we can talk about his authority in writing this letter, but we've talked about his authority before, so we don't have to. Uh, but for today, the most important is his audience. Who is Paul writing this to? Right? You look at that in verse 1 and 2 and 3. It says, Paul called by the will of God to, the, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God in to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that this letter is written for the church in Corinth. But it's not just the church of Corinth. If you can see, it says, it is the church of God that is in Corinth. Okay, and that's a big difference. When you say, well, this was written to the church in Corinth. You know, if you know what church, church, uh, the definition of church is, uh, is a, it was really a, 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 a non-religious word during that time. And it was, all it meant was an assembly, an assembly of people. So if you're saying, hey, this is written to the church, this is written to any, any gathering of people. 
right? But that's not the case, right? He says the church of God that is in Corinth, the church of God. So you see, the Corinth was one of those great cities of the Asian world. It's almost like if it was California, right? You notice how when I gave you a description of, imagine you opening a church. When, when I was kind of putting that, the first thing I thought was California. <laughs> because they got a whole bunch of mess of stuff going on there, right? So this was a growing and a busy city that was uh, had a very good, well-deserved reputation for being reckless in their pursuit of their own pleasure. That's what they were after. The city Corinth was just after satisfying their own pleasure. The Corinth people were also worldly known for partying. They loved to party. They loved to get drunk. And they loved to just, you know, be sexually active. It is said that they had this saying, to live like a Corinth, or to live like a Corinthians. That was a saying that they had during those times when they would talk about uh, the church, um, the the, the the city, right? Live like a Corinth, which everybody knew meant be as sexually out of control as you want. So if you were saying that back in the days, you were saying, hey, just live your life as good as you want to live. Have sex with whoever you want. So when Paul refers to the church here, first he's not talking about a building. He's talking about a gathering, a gathering of people. Right? But we know that the history of this church, so he's not just talking about any gathering. Gathering. So secondly, he's talking about the gathering of God's people. So he's referring this letter specifically to God's people. Okay? Not just any gathering, anybody who calls themselves. No. It's the gathering of God's people. He was writing to the group who gather under God's name in the midst of a lot of the, what was bad. So it's not just anybody. It's not everyone that's doing bad and everybody that's doing good. No, it's those who are in Christ, in God. And if you look at verse 6, he goes on to specifically identify those people, who those people are. First he says, those that are sacrificed, that are sanctified, sorry, sanctified in Christ Jesus. So he's talking about those of them that have been set apart from the world and have been dedicated to God. So now we, we have a, a bit of a more breakdown. So it's God's people, but this is who God's people are. First is those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Those who have been cleansed and free from the guilt of sin. It's those who, who are set aside specifically for the work and the will of God. So first and foremost is the people who are sanctified in Christ. Those who are set apart to be for Christ, for God only. And then he says, those who are saints. So saints here means those who are holy. Okay? But not perfect. We're not talking about perfection. Okay? This word here is not talking about perfection. Right? It's those who are believers. It's not those who are perfect, but those who are believers. So the saints are the Believers, and throughout the Bible, you see that word be used many times. It's always directed to those who are 
true believers, right? The saints. And notice that when he says, together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is writing to the local church in Corinth, but he's applying whatever he's going to say to all those who call on the same God. So this is what we call the invisible church. You don't know they exist because you don't know them by name, but you know they're out there somewhere. They're out there calling out and worshiping the same God that you're calling out and worshiping. So Paul is writing to those who are believers that call out that in the name of God, that is everyone who calls out the name of God as a believer, not just you know, their own God, but the same God, the God of the Bible. And this is important because this means that there is no exclusion of time in history. That doesn't mean this letter only works for them. Even though he's going to touch on some specific culture issues that they were having, this is not just for them. This is for everyone in every time in, of history. He's, he's talking about no matter what nation, no matter what language, no matter what culture. This applies to everyone who is a believer, who is a saint, a true believer, someone who is sanctified in Jesus Christ. Okay, so what does Paul say to them, right? And I'm going to give you just a heads up. Paul is going to rebuke a lot in this chapter because uh, they're doing a lot of stuff. So it's a lot of chapters of rebuking. But Paul knows who they are and he's confident in who they are. So though they are going to be rebuked, he's still thankful for what God has already done in them and what God is going to do with them as well. So Paul continues with some truth on why he's thankful. He starts in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given uh, you in Christ Jesus. So Paul's first thankful because they have received grace from God through Jesus. So in other words, he's thankful that God saved them through the work of Jesus and not the work of their own. So he's looking at these people. He's listening to what's, and well, actually reading of everything that's going on. And he's thankful. He says, I am so thankful that it's not your works that's saving you. Because if it was your work that's saving you, you wouldn't be saved. So I'm thankful that you're saved because of Christ. And this awareness to me is amazing. He understands that they have received grace not by their works. Not by getting the answers to their question. Not by following what the answers are going to be. It's by what Christ did. And as you read through this letter, you're going to notice that they have not been doing anything that any one of us can say we're thankful for. And we're thankful for. What do you, look at these people. What are they doing? What should we be thankful for? There's nothing they're doing that's worth being thankful for. So thank God for his grace. Thank God because his grace is something that we, they didn't earn. 
because they haven't up to yet. They haven't earned it. So thank God for that. He's aware that there's nothing that they or anyone can do to earn it. All the grace they have received has been the work of God. And they're being treated more than they deserve, better than they deserve. And he's aware of that. He's thankful because he's coming. This grace is first of all coming from God himself and not because of how they're living. And then as you continue, you see how this grace has been manifested, right? Verse 5 through 7. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking any gifts as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul says, because you have received grace, you have been enriched. And this means when you see enriched, it's talking about being very, very, very wealthy or, or rich. Let's just enrich. It's just the easiest way to say just rich. You have been very rich. Because you received this grace, you are now rich. But he's not talking about physical possession. He's not talking about you received God's grace, so now you got a bunch of money in your bank account. And now you have a lot of cows, a lot of chickens, a lot of land. That's not what he's talking about, right? He's talking about being spiritually rich. And that spiritual rich is coming in the form of speech and understanding. This means that not only do they know the gospel, they understand the gospel, and they can effectively teach the gospel. So if you will walk into the church of Corinth, the teachers... And the preachers that were teaching, you would sit there and listen to what they were saying. And you would walk away and be like, not only was I convicted, I was encouraged, and I understand more now. So if you were wanting to go to a church, you would want to go to one of these churches. Because their teaching was as good as it's going to get. And then you have to think about it, right? They had Paul, right? We preach Paul's letters all the time. So whatever I say up here is not something I made up. It's not something I said there and God, here, I'm going to just give you, reveal this to you. No, I'm just repeating what Paul is saying most of the time or what another uh, apostle is saying or, or what God or Jesus said himself, right? So it's never something me. They had Paul himself teach them. They had people like Apollo teach them. They even had Peter. I mean, they had the best possible teachers teaching them the truth of Christ. I mean, how many of us can say that? Right? You have the best teachers in the world teaching us. Sometimes I hear these, these uh, teachers, you know, and they, as they're teaching me, talk about how they studied under, you know, people like Spurgeon, right? If I read a book, I'm like, I studied under Spurgeon. He taught, you know, <laughs> Spurgeon, wow. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, right? I, I taught under C.S. Lewis or or R.C. Spro, and, and I'm here like, wow, man, I wish I could have been taught by those people. I'm kind of jealous that you were. And these people were being taught by them directly. Those who we wish that we're being taught from, they were there being taught from them. And those are just the ones that we know. Because Paul is saying that there are many ways that they have been given this gift of spiritual richness. Everyone there who fell under the definition of church 
has received the spiritual riches. On top of that, they also had the testimony of Jesus confirmed or authenticated in them. They had Paul himself authenticate what God had done and was doing in their lives. Paul came and he preached Christ. And their lives, the way they changed, reflected exactly what he was preaching. The spiritual riches that they were receiving had was confirmation of the testimony Paul brought of Jesus. They were like, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus is going to do. And this Jesus was, did already, and their life reflected it. That means it's what Jesus' testimony, what Paul brought in regards to Jesus, was true because it did reflect in their life. There was a change. And as a result, of that was that they did not lack any spiritual gifts. They had it all. Of course, spiritual gifts for the kingdom, all right? But they didn't lack any of them. They spoke in tongues. They had translations. Uh, they have gifts of healings, wisdom, knowledge, just to name a few. They had all types. You know all those gifts that we always kind of talk about and be like, do we still see these gifts in our days or not? Is it just for them? You know, we go back and forth many times. They had them. Everything. That church had all gifts. If there was ever a perfectly put body of Christ together, it was this one. Because they had it all. Everything. But because these gifts became a problem to them, Paul had to take some time to remind them that the gifts that they had received was not based on their own works either. It came from the grace of God who was given by God. They had received this gift. It wasn't something that they earned. So they had to take this very serious. This is not something you came up with. This is something that was given to you by God himself. So this wasn't something that you could just play around with and be like, oh, I'll just do whatever I think is best. And there's a lot of pressure when you know this, right? Somebody tells you, what the gift that you have is be given to you by God, so don't mess it up. And you're like, oh, I don't want that gift. That's a lot of pressure. But you see, God is not just going to abandon them in that process, right? Look at verse 8. Who, and this who is God, God will sustain you to the end, guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul points them to a promise that comes from God and his work, and not from anything that any one of them has done. Again, back to God. Paul says to the church, as you live this out, as you live out this calling, this gifts that God has given you out of his grace, God is going to sustain you. God is going to keep you to, your, to himself. There is nothing that will come and take you away from him. I mean, we talked about this just two weeks ago. Psalms 91, right? No matter what's happened, no matter what happens in this world, you will not be separated from God.
So Paul also assured them that when that day comes, the day comes that when you're in front of God, when you're in front of Jesus, they were either because he came back or because you died and are in heaven. When that day comes, they're going to be indeed found guiltless and blameless. Even after they continue to fall short, in eternity they will be blameless. No one will have anything to bring against them. And then he says, all this is true because of what verse 9 says. God is faithful by whom you are called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is faithful because of God's faithful character. Paul is confident that no matter what, they're going to be victorious. Because God was the one that called them. Because God is the one that made the initial reaching out. He's the one that put grace in them. He's the one that gave them this gift because it comes from God and who God is. And not because of what they did. Paul is confident that everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to. Now, there are many ways that we can apply this to our lives, right? We can go many different ways. I mean, you got to remember, we are those who call on the same God that Paul is talking about. We are calling out to God just the same God that they're calling out. So this applies to us as well. We are the saints and the sanctified. At least that's what I hope for and I pray for, right? I hope this is us. But you have to be very careful. Just because your life is secured in God's hand doesn't mean that you won't fall short or you won't need rebuking or you won't need to be put back on track. Sometimes we live out where, hey, I'm saved, whatever, don't judge me. No, there are going to be times where you're going to stray away and somebody needs to push you back into the correct road. So remember, Paul wasn't questioning their salvation. He knows God makes no mistake. He didn't say, hey, I think God's going to make a mistake with you guys. You guys, you know, he said you're saved, but you're not. Sorry. That's not what he's questioning. Paul is going to question their lives due to God giving them grace. He said, what does your life look like? Because God gave you grace. If God gave you grace, what does your life look like? The way they exercise the spiritual richness that God has given them through their grace will be of witness to those around them. People are going to see how their lives are going to be. You're saying, hey, God saved me. Yeah, but it doesn't look like it. So you got to ask yourself, when was the last time you were thankful for the grace you have received from God, which is not based on your own works? Or anything that you've already done. Or maybe you have forgotten how wretched you really are. Maybe it's been such a long time since you haven't heard or read this letter and you haven't told yourself, man, I am pretty messed up. 
Paul Tournier says, Believers who are the most desperate about themselves are the ones who express most forcefully their confidence in grace. Those who are the most pessimistic about men are the most optimistic about God. Those who are those who are most severe with themselves are the ones who have the most serene confidence in divine forgiveness. By the degree the by the degrees the awareness of our guilt and God's grace increases side by side. In other words, the more you realize your brokenness and the more you realize of man's brokenness, the greater you are to recognize it is because of his grace only. I've heard many unbelievers say that they don't believe there's a higher God, there's a higher power, there's anything higher than us because they believe that man is good enough to figure things out and be like, okay, let's be really good to each other. But that's not true. Throughout history, we've seen that's not true. Leave men to themselves and they'll kill each other. And we've seen it. You remove God and all of a sudden chaos breaks out. Time and time again, that's been proven to be wrong. Man is capable of many evil things. And many of them without even remorse. And when we recognize that, we should be even more thankful that we receive grace without earning it. Because if we try to earn it, we're going to continue to fall short and never really earn it. Now ask yourself, when was the last time you recognized how the grace of God has been manifested in your life. How do you see that grace of God in your life? What about those spiritual riches, riches that he has given you? We've all received them. Maybe not the same. Maybe we have different ones. We may not have those the same that they had. But we've all had. Or maybe you've become full of excuses or maybe you've misused them. I read this and I'm reminded of Moses, right? When God called them out to free his people in Exodus 4, chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. This is what it says. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. God's calling him out. Here comes his excuses. Then the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? It is not I, the Lord. Now go and I will speak and will teach you what, you, what to say. Did not God give those gifts without earning them to you? Wasn't he the one that gave them to you? Why aren't you putting them into practice the way he intended them to, to be put? What excuse do you have? Did he not give them to you? Will he not give you the ability to carry it out? So many gifts, so many talents that the church of God has been given.
We received all this. Not just us. All those who call on the name of God. We've received this grace. We've received this spiritual richness. What are we doing with it? They're useless. They're useless if you're, if you're putting those gifts uh, for nothing. If you're just receiving them and doing nothing, they're useless unless you put them in God's feet and start using them for the kingdom. They're useless. I heard a story of there's a man who brought uh, a broken car because he wanted to fix it himself. He was like, oh, I, I like fixing it. I like to be hands-on. So he bought this broken-down car. He fixed it. He, he put a lot of work, and, uh, and he got it to a point that was very useful. It was useful for everything except for going up a hill. To go up a hill, he needed a little bit of a push. So happened that he, uh, he was driving through the city, and there was a hill. And he knew there was a hill. He knew this car needed a push to go up the hill. So he started pushing. But he noticed that there was an intersection on top of the hill, and there was a car, two cars on one side. So he's like, I got to push this car. So he timed it. He goes, okay, I'm going to time it where I can push the car up past the intersection after the first car passes. But as he gets closer, he realizes that that car that's there is actually a tow truck who's towing a car in the back. So it's not two separate cars. It's one car, two cars together. And as he gets closer, the next thing he realizes, and when he wakes up, he's in the hospital. So he pushed and he pushed because he thought he could go in between those cars. He ends up crashing into them. He thought there was a separation between those two cars, and there wasn't. Both cars went together, and he suffered the consequences for thinking those cars were separated, but they weren't. You can't separate what God has bonded together. Your, your calling and your conduct cannot be separated. You can't say, I have grace, I've received grace, and your life doesn't look like it. You can't separate those two things. You can't separate God's uh, grace and exercise and and not exercise the gift that God has given you. There's serious consequences when you try to separate those things. And these consequences come at the expense of your witness. People are going to look at you and they're going to look at you and say, you talk about how you're saved in Jesus. But it doesn't look like it. Many times I've heard pastors' kids leaving the church because, or or. or Kids in the church, with parents in the church, they leave the church because my, my mom and my dad go to church and they're all happy. But when they get home, they're the worst people in the world. So I left church because it's all lies. Too many times I've seen this. Look, you're called into fellowship with Christ. He brought you there. It wasn't on your own will. It wasn't on your own doing. He brought you there. God himself picked you out before you were born, before even creation. He picked you out to himself. No, he didn't call you to be like God. He probably didn't call you to do miracles either. I'm pretty sure. But he did give you grace. And with that, he made you spiritually rich. And he's given you spiritual richness. He has called you to himself. 
and your life needs to reflect it. Yeah, I know it's hard. I get it. It's hard for me. It's super hard. But don't worry. He doesn't make mistakes or break promises. He will keep you. And he will never forsake you. Sometimes we don't do what God's called us to do because we're scared of messing up. Because there's pressure. It's a lot of pressure. So we don't do it. We got excuses. Oh, I'm not. Uh, no. But don't worry. Look what it says in Jude, Jude chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. Now unto him that is able to keep you from failing and to present you faultless before the presence of the glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. He will keep you. If he gave you something, he's going to make sure you accomplish it. He's not just going to let you out on your own and be like, here's your gift. You're on your own. So I want to encourage you to have the same confidence that Paul had and live according to his will because he is faithful. God is faithful to his promise. So he is faithful in order for you to live out your life the way he's called you to live it out. Let that grace of God be seen in your spiritual richness, in your life. Let it be seen, let it be known to those around you, not just by your words, but by the way you behave, the way you do things. And we're going to look at those as we continue with this letter. What exactly are those things that the church in Corinth was messing up on? Was, you know, straying away from? Because you're going to see how we stray away from the same, with the same exact things. So, church, pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that you've done for us. Father, we are so thankful for your grace. Lord, we, we look at our lives and we know that we're not worthy of that grace. We, we haven't done absolutely nothing. Anything we've ever done is nothing. It's not enough for that grace that you've given us. So we're thankful because you gave us that grace before anything. Before we did anything, before we were even born, you've given us this grace, Father. But we ask that you help us as we continue to read through this letter, Lord, that we may live out the way you've called us to live out. Father, that those around us can be a witness of who you are with our lives. That our lives may speak more than what our words speak, Lord. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church.